feel like I'm home when I come here. And uh, it's really, it was sort of unique today. I flew from Rhode Island. I, I felt like I was flying to a meeting, except I was going to Milwaukee. And, uh, and I only had to go five minutes from the airport, so that worked out very well. But uh, what a joy to be here. And we are excited about what God's doing in this church. We need to reach Milwaukee. My heart resonated with that. Uh, and I believe God is going to do some great things. That's what I want to talk about tonight. I believe God is doing some great things. And I, I trust you appreciate what God is doing here. I have appreciated this church. I came when Souls Harbor was being started. So uh, we've sort of had uh, just a parallel history here in the Milwaukee area. And I've watched all of the different moves that have been made, and I've just appreciated so much the tenacity of uh, the leadership here and all that has been done and all that God is, uh, is doing. And I just sense, I've just been thrilled at what I've seen here today and, and uh, just sense from you folks. So uh, we want to be part of that. And we were talking, Pastor and I were ahead of time, uh, I think uh, we need to just claim this city for Christ. You know, we're only, well, I, we're only a couple of blocks away from the Milwaukee line. So it's, you know, Menominee Falls, uh, but we're not on the west side, we're on the east side. And so we're very burdened for Milwaukee. Uh, we're right there and uh, very much wanting to see the Lord work. But very thankful for your pastor, his heart. It's been fun to watch him grow up and, uh, and to see his uh, faithfulness. You know, it's exciting. Souls Harbor has never dipped the flag. All of your years, it's the same, same heart, same philosophy. Not many churches in America have that uh, testimony. And uh, God's honoring that and will honor that. I'm thrilled tonight to be at your um, missions conference night and that it is an emphasis on the city. And I think that is great, especially our Judea, our Samaria. And we have all of that, as is mentioned. Certainly we're burdened for the Rohingya. Uh, there with the Sigmas, and uh, I'm excited about that. The Hispanic world, oh my, what an opportunity. What a precious opportunity. And uh, you folks have, we are situated perfectly uh, for that. And then just the people of our area. And uh, God wants to do a great work. So that's what I want to talk about tonight. But you know, sometimes we're our own worst enemies in this whole thing. We, we just... Uh, have a hard time really letting the Lord work. Remind, reminds me of a story I heard about a stranger was walking down the street in, in, in the city and uh, there was one of these uh, houses that where you had to bring stuff down and then downstairs and everything and uh, he saw a man struggling right at the doorway with a washing machine. And so the fellow walking said, let me help you. You can't do that on your own. There's no way. Oh, the other fellow was, the homeowner was just overjoyed, and the two men began to work, and they struggled, and they did everything they could. That thing was bulky. After several minutes of sweating and fruitless effort, the two stopped and just stared at each other with real frustration. And, uh, and then the fellow said, well, I'm, I'm sorry. I'm, I'm, I know you want to get this thing in. He said, get in. I'm just trying to get it out. <laughs> and... Uh, I think the Lord must feel that way with us sometimes. Uh, we don't get the message, and we don't mean to push the wrong way. But, you know, God's got the power to use each one of us. That's what's so exciting. If we will listen and we will respond. 
You know, we love to look back in history. You look at a David Brainerd. Do you realize he went to the, De uh, the Delaware Native Americans, total paganism, absolutely no idea of Christianity, and not only did he see many saved, they actually had revival. Revival that you would expect to be in a Christianized area. But what he said was, uh, I care not whether I live or what hardships I go through so that I can but gain souls for Christ. While I am asleep, I dream of these things. As soon as I awake, the first thing I, first thing I think of is this great work. All my desire is the conversion of sinners and all my hope is in God. As your pastor mentioned here tonight, uh, the early church, they were consumed with reaching the Jerusalem and the entire area around them. You know, you didn't just have a few people in the ministry. Christian was a minister. Every Christian was on fire. You had thousands of missionaries sent out, and they were just the good old folks of the First Baptist Church of Jerusalem. It was a Baptist church, by the way. Uh, but anyway, uh, the, uh, they all had this kind of a heart. You think of George Whitfield, the famous um, English evangelist, Oh Lord, give me souls or take my soul. Henry Martin, missionary kneeling on India's strands, cried out, Let me burn out for God. Praying Hyde, that great praying missionary that saw thousands saved in the Kesia Hills revival, said, Father, give me these souls or I die. You say, well, those are just really special men. Well, you know, if we just brought them here and had a, brought them down to our the fellowship today, you wouldn't think they were all that special. Oh, you would very much honor them if you knew about what they had done, but, you know, they're just like us. Just people. And they have a great God. And we need to understand that the Lord Jesus made it very clear that if we would believe him there in John chapter 14, this is not our text, but John chapter 14, verse 12 says, Verily, verily, I say unto you, He that believeth on me, the works that I do shall he do also. So that means anyone in this room tonight that will believe, fully give their heart to Jesus, can do the works that Christ did when he was here on this earth. That is absolutely breathtaking. But he doesn't stop there. He goes on and says... And greater works than these shall he do because I go to my Father. I'm going to win the victory. I'm going to be seated at the right hand of the Father as the God-man. I'm going to send the Spirit of God. All of this, of course, he taught. And as a result, every believer can do greater works than Christ did. Now, I want to tell you, folks, the vision that your pastor gave tonight is not a nice idea. It's not some pipe dream. It's actually based upon the very words of Jesus himself. You see, he's the under-shepherd of the great shepherd. I can tell you right now, the heart of Jesus is breaking over our area here. And he wants this dear church to be able to see greater works done in this area. But it starts, as I started off with that little story, it starts with us stopping that fight within us. 
And I'm going to go to probably the most preached missions conference text. And uh, you'll probably know where I'm going. And I didn't know he was going to talk about laborers. But we're going to look tonight at Mar uh, Matthew chapter 9. Matthew chapter 9. But would you give this a fresh look tonight? Because I know this is what God wants me to give to you. And I think especially from what I've heard in the presentation here this evening. You see, a praying Hyde, a Henry Martin, a David Brainerd, and on and on the list could go. These people developed the very heart of the Christ that the Savior said, the kind of work that he could do. They developed that heart. Our problem is not that we don't have the power. We have the power in us with the Spirit of God. The problem is we have not let, we have not allowed God to change our heart so that we can accomplish that work. Folks, every person has that potential. I'm going to say that probably a hundred times tonight. Every person in in every pew here tonight has this potential of greater works, but the problem is, where is our heart? We actually, folks, it's exciting, God wants us to have the very heart of the Lord Jesus. Matthew chapter 9, you have the Lord Jesus in a very busy schedule, if you'll look at the earlier part of that chapter, and uh, he had been just going day and night doing ministry. But there he sees a multitude. And we read in verse 36, But when he saw the multitudes, he was moved with compassion on them because they fainted and were scattered abroad as sheep having no shepherd. First of all, I want us to see that we need to develop the heart of Christ by having that heart of compassion that gets us out of ourself developed in us. If you study the Gospels, and I don't have the time to just go into it, it is just stirring. Every time he saw a need, he not only met the need, but he was moved. That ought to encourage you. The one you pray to, he's touched with the feelings of your infirmities. He really does care. He's a person. He loves you. And he had compassion on this crowd here. Uh, we find that when he was at the tomb of Lazarus and Mary and Martha were uh, weeping and he saw all of that, uh, he had, uh, was deeply moved in his spirit and was troubled. And that has the idea that he was actually, uh, his body shuddered and he was physically racked with emotion. I mean, he was totally overwhelmed with grief for the people there at Lazarus tomb. That's your savior. That's the kind of heart he had. He had compassion when the people didn't have enough food and on and on I could go. Isaiah prophesied that Jesus is a man of sorrows and acquainted with grief. Uh, the, I, the great writer Thomas Watson said, and I love this statement, we may force our Lord to punish us but we'll never have to force him to love us. He loves us. And my friends, we can get challenged about meeting the needs of this community, but not till we have a heart change. Is that going to happen? Well, some things we note here in this passage about the Lord, that the Holy Spirit will help us if we're open to him. 
he saw, he had his eyes off of himself. If you look back there at verse 36, but when he saw the multitudes. Folks, let's face it, how much of every day is our life filled with what we're concerned about? Our anxieties, our wishes, our little schedule, our distractions, the things we like to check on and do, and especially with technology, we're just consumed with self, maybe not horribly so, but our lives just just fly by without really meditating on the needs of others. It's just part of our selfish nature, a little boy and his younger sister were riding on one of those little hobby horses. Remember those? I don't think they make them much anymore. Uh, and uh, they were riding together on that hobby horse. And the boy said, if one of us would just get off this hobby horse, there would be more room for me. <laughs> and unfortunately, that is, uh, that's our perspective. We don't want it to be so, but folks, we're really imprisoned by ourselves. We don't see the needs. And a lot of that is there's just little sins in our lives. I, I recall the story of a Irish ship. It was off the coast of Ireland. The ca captain was a very renowned captain, very careful, known for his preciseness. But it wrecked there on the coast, and no one could explain. There was not bad weather. There was no reason for that ship to have gone down. It was a tragedy. And so they sent divers down to check and figure out what had happened, and they found the compass. And the compass... The day before, a sailor had cleaned it with the, with the tip of a knife, and the little tip evidently had broken off and gone into the compass, and that was just enough metal to put it just far enough off course that the ship, that the captain trusting that compass drove his ship into the rocks. Now, we're filled with self, and self means oftentimes we have things in our life that just aren't right, folks. You know, we can talk about missions, but if we were walking with God, missions would be no problem. Soul winning would be no problem. There are just little things, unbelief, bitterness. Uh, there are just unresolved issues. There's just this willingness to say no to God. He's told you to do something. He told you to get right with that person. He told you to give in a certain circumstance, and you wouldn't do it. Maybe you're not tithing, and you know that you're disobeying the Lord. Could be that you are not careful in your viewing, and that's just bringing you down. Uh, maybe there are other situations that are in your heart. There's some envy, some jealousy, some hurt, insecurity that makes it almost seem like you're proud. On and on I could go. Now, folks, we don't need to be afraid to let God work in our heart because it's a great joy when sin is fully dealt with and the Holy Spirit gets back in control. But whenever we say, well, I've got a problem with self, well, self always manifests itself in the works of the flesh. And the thing that holds back the churches in America from being what we ought to be is those little sins that are holding back the heart change that God wants to do in all of our lives. We make little compromises. We do little things we shouldn't do. We spend money where we shouldn't spend it. We do it going against our conscience. What whatsoever is not of faith is sin. 
And so we've got to get our eyes off of ourselves. As Andrew Bonar said, I look for the church and I found it in the world. I look for the world and alas, I found it in the church. Thank God your church is not acting like the world, but people in good churches can be filled with that because that's just the, 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 the way it is. And so if we're going to be used, there was a time in which each of the men that I gave as a testimony at the beginning of this message where they surrendered to God, got right, and began to walk with God. You take a Hudson Taylor, when he got on his face before God, he said, Lord, I'll do whatever you want me to do. And God was able to change him, give him a big heart to, to understand that China could be reached, and we're still amazed today. You look at the 100 plus million believers in China. It's an amazing thing. It goes back to that consecration. So missions in a church really starts with each one of us getting our eyes off of ourselves. And if we do, let's look back at the uh, passage here, verse 36. But when he saw the multitudes, he was moved with compassion on them because he saw them that they fainted and were scattered abroad as sheep having no shepherd. Now, here's something that he obviously was the God-man. He knew the truth. But you, can you imagine what it would have been like for him to stand there, look at that multitude, and in his mind's eye know that a good number of them were going to be screaming in hell in just a few decades, or in a few years, or for some in a few days. If he didn't have the strength of God, I don't know how humanly you could take that. You see, his eyes were not on himself. His eyes were on others. And as he looked at the multitudes, no wonder he wept. No wonder he wept over Jerusalem. No wonder he is just deeply moved even now at the throne because he understands what eternity in hell means. That's why he would leave the throne and come and die on the cross and go through all that he did because hell is real. We just crossed the 20th anniversary of 9-11, and it brought back a lot of memories. Many of you that are older can remember that for the first uh, couple hours, actually for the first few hours, they kept replaying the people as they jumped. Do you remember that? Uh, they were in the windows, and then they jumped. They stopped that, and I think that was wise for the family's sake. You still see it, by the way, at the 9-11 memorial in New York City. But I remember they got them up, you got up, you saw the fire and the smoke coming out. And then you'd see somebody climb and then out they go from a 50th floor. Now that moved me. But friends, as bad as that is, and it was terrible, these people were, had shepherds the Pharisees leading them to religiosity and religion that was going to send them to judgment. Uh, these uh, people um, were, were fainting. They didn't know which way to go. He knew their hearts. He understood. And he was so burdened. And uh, the Bible said that he had this deep compassion. Now, my friends, I, just, I really want us to understand, this is not just Jesus. Who lives in you right now? The Spirit of Jesus, the Holy Spirit, the third person of the Trinity. 
I'm not talking idealism here. I'm not talking something that no one here can achieve. I'm giving you something that everyone here can achieve, not through your own power, but letting the Holy Spirit work. Oh, I, I need this far more. But I know there's moments in which all of a sudden the, the, God, the Spirit breaks my heart and I begin to see a person as Jesus sees them. And I tell you what, you can hardly, it, it just, it, it is amazing. And this is where people that sacrifice and just give their lives and see great fruit and are abiding in Christ, they are being transformed and they are getting out of this puny little world, this little prison house of self that we live in and that God begins to give them the very heart of Christ. That's what drives them to prayer. That's what drives them to do what they do. That's why they have to talk to people about, about Christ. That's why they're willing to serve. Christ can do that. And we're, see, we stop it. We stop it. God's ready to do that with all of you. You see, you're a Christian. Christ. You are the ones that have been commissioned and I have been commissioned to fulfill his ministry. And he said we would do greater works. Folks, missions is not in the hands of missionaries. It's in our hands. And when churches burst forth with the reality of Christ, that's when missionaries just get sent and, and God does a mighty, mighty work. So you have the love of Christ here. And folks, let me just say, you can't manufacture it. Don't try to get sentimental. I can't work it up to you. To, I mean, I can't. I could maybe give you some stories about some things to get you a little weepy-eyed about people's needs, but that'd go away as when you went home. But I'm telling you, if the Spirit of God gets a hold of your heart and you get right with God and you totally surrender to Him and you get on your face before God and start having an extended time of prayer every day, you will be a different person and you'll be shocked about you walk into work. And all of a sudden you're thinking about your co-laborers. All of a sudden you get burdened about your extended family. All of a sudden you wake up, my neighbors, my neighbors, they're not saved. See, you can't work that up. And don't try to. That, that's, that's fruitless. But I'm telling you, the love of Christ can dominate in your life if you will yield to him. And I'm so glad. I remember as a teen I tried to work it up. <laughs> the Lord honored that. But oh, I'm telling you, when God just comes over and begins to change you, the Holy Spirit was prophesied by Jesus that he would come and he would do that kind of work. Second thing we need to see here in this passage, very familiar part here, but it's important. We've got to first of all, let God change our heart to see and think like Christ. And then we've got to believe what Christ said about the harvest here. And this is very important. We know these verses, but I want you to give a, a real fresh look at it. Verse 37. Then saith he unto his disciples, The harvest truly is plenteous, but the laborers are few. The harvest is plenteous. All right. I want you to say it with me. You ready? Everybody awake? You ate too much. That's your problem. All right, you ready? Say it with me now. The harvest truly is plenteous. Not bad, but let's say it with uh, real conviction. You ready? The harvest truly is plenteous. You know, our big problem is we don't believe that. South side of Milwaukee, it doesn't get tougher than that. I was just in Rhode Island 
last night and talking to the folks there. And, of course, New England, uh-huh, you know. But uh, we were talking about if you'll pray, God can do it. And they were talking that way. It was exciting to see a group of people committed to re- reaching Providence, Rhode Island. And, and uh, uh, the Hispanic community, the Rohingya, you got to believe that. Humanly? Oh, how can that happen? My friends, the, the Lord Jesus said, the harvest is plenteous. Now again, uh, this comes when you yield yourself and you start believing. Remember, if you believe in me, you will do greater works than I have done. And uh, I remember when I surrendered my life to the Lord as a teenager, and then I tried to, tried to get going on all this, but I began to believe that God would work. And you know when you believe that, God leads you just to the right person. It was one of my first in, 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 entries, uh, introductions into effective soul winning as I was asking God to work. And I have a, in my office, I have a little Glaston tricycle uh, in there. Um, and what happened was I uh, was just out door knocking as a teenager by myself, which wasn't the wisest thing, but I had an opportunity to lead a family to Christ. And uh, the little boy on the tricycle came up, which was their son, and I got to know him. And then he started coming to our church, and he got saved and went on for the Lord as a fine family, as a carpentry business, well, actually a woodworking business. And he made this wooden tricycle (laughs) and put it in the box there. And every time I look at it, I realize I began to believe God. How much more, if I would believe God, could that happen just over and over and over again? Folks, God can reach your neighborhood. He can reach your neighborhood. How do I know that? He said so. Say, but Pastor Van Gelderen, you don't know. Well, your neighborhood's probably like mine. You know, I live in Menominee Falls. Oh, brother. You know, that has its own set of problems. Okay, you know what I'm talking about. And, uh, but my neighborhood can be reached. Because Jesus said so. All up and down those streets are people that God's working on. And if we're praying, God will do an even greater work. And he'll take the blindness away. It's amazing what he will do. And it's because God said so. So we've got to believe in the harvest. Over and over, the Lord said in John 4, 35, Lift up your eyes and look on the fields, for they are white already to harvest. Luke chapter 10, verse 2, The harvest truly is great, but then again, the laborers are few. Uh, we have... Uh, a medical doctor that went to the mission field from our church. I don't know if you know Dr. Tom Johnson. Uh, Dr. Tom went to Cambodia. Dr. Tom was a character as he was a resident over here at the, uh, the Frederick uh, complex there with the uh, Medical School of Wisconsin. And uh, he, uh, he, he got uh, burdened about soul winning and then God used that. He began to see people saved. He heard this message that there's a harvest. Well, anyway, Long story short, uh, he just, uh, he was just one of those guys, when he went and got going, he was all in. He would embarrass me, you know. So we're on the way to, on a survey trip to Cambodia. So I'm, my wife and I, and he wasn't married at the, yes, he, I can't remember. Well, anyway, we were heading to Cambodia. And um, so in the airport, he's just talking and talking and talking to several people. And I don't remember what nationality they were and, Maybe it was in the Japan, uh, Tokyo airport. And he said, these three people accepted Christ. And I was a little, you know, how, well, they were all excited. Well, that's great. 
Then we got on the plane, and he's sitting uh, with an American uh, about five or six rows up, and he's just going to it, you know. And I'm thinking, he's got to let that guy go. That's a long trip, you know. Uh, and he's just going about half the trip, and finally they stopped and all, and, and he comes slipping back over the plane. He got saved. I said, well, good. Again, I'm sort of doubting, you know, how, how it goes. You know, Tom was just so aggressive. Well, anyway, we're on the way out. And, of course, I'm not witnessing. I'm sitting next to my wife. It's just two of us there. But I, I was under conviction, but um, doubting, you know. So we're walking out. We happen to end up right behind this fellow. Sharp guy. Businessman. He, uh, and we started struck up a conversation. Oh, you're with uh, the medical doctor there. Yes, we said, yes. He said, you know, he just led me to Christ. <laughs> He says, glorious, I'm saved. And I'm, I mean, I was just, uh, and he said, I need a church. You know, I'm in Tampa, and man, we just rejoice and all. And I said, oh, Lord, you know, I, uh, I was very much dealt with. That, was, that burned into my mind. The difference between Dr. Johnson and me at that moment was he believed there was a harvest, and I wasn't on that track as I should have been. I was just headed to Cambodia. You see, there's a harvest. You get on a bus, there's a harvest. You walk the streets here, there's lots of people. It's not really going to the park time anymore, but there's a, there's a lot of people. There's a harvest. Your neighborhood's a harvest. It is true. Why? He said so. Folks, when we make excuses, we're saying, in essence, Jesus doesn't know what he's talking about. He doesn't know what he's talking about. There is a harvest. The problem is not even with our lack of ability. He doesn't, he, if, we'll, if we will just let him work in our lives, he will direct us to the right people. It'll be amaz amazing who he will direct you to give a track to and talk to, and God will open it up. I remember talking to a Christian scientist, and he had given me some trouble. I mean, he wasn't about to be open. Long story short, we started talking, and God just prompted me to go right into it. And in a matter of about 20 minutes, he was on his knees accepting Christ. That's what God can do. And, uh, the, the, but the unbelief, I'm, like I said, we are our own worst enemy. We're either filled with self or we are filled with unbelief. And the two go together, by the way. They go together. Every person in here can be a wonderful soul winner. There is no gift of soul winning, by the way. Spiritual gifts are for the local church to edify one another so that you can be strengthened to do what? To do the Great Commission. The Great Commission is a commission for all of us. We are all to evangelize. We are all to disciple. It is our glorious privilege and obligation to the Savior that died for us. We are debtors. And my friends, I really want to encourage you. Don't think, well, that person sort of suited for soul winning. No, Every one of us are suited for soul winning because we know how to talk and uh, we have the Holy Spirit within us. And so uh, he said the harvest is plenteous, so we have to believe that. And then we just need to obey what he says here. I want you to see this. The laborers are few. Shouldn't be. Think of the millions of believers in America. If they were doing greater works, this country would not have had the problems that it's had over these last few decades. It's really true. We have enough. But we are told to do something. Pray ye therefore the Lord of the harvest, that he will send forth laborers into his harvest. 
This is an imperative. Now, what happened when the church really faced persecution? Uh, there in Acts 4, they come back. They get on their faces before God, the entire assembly, and they call upon God to intervene, but they did not ask for deliverance. What did they ask for? They asked for boldness. And this is what we need to understand is the prayer always needs to be, Lord, we have got to see this need met. Basically, what are you praying for when you pray for laborers? You're praying that Souls Harbor Baptist Church will have revival. Don't pray for laborers over there. The laborers are we can't see. We don't believe. But if we would pray for one another, you'd be amazed how one will spark another will spark another. And it's amazing what the Lord will do. And so this, uh, this is an imperative. And uh, we need to be praying that spirit-filled laborers will reap uh, the harvest. Uh, actually, uh, Hawthorne speaks of this as the Lord who is harvesting. And I want to finish with this that he would send forth laborers. That word send forth means to, uh, it has the idea of pulling up something that's being held down and doing what has to be done to thrust it forth. We're all tied down, aren't we? With our thinking, our unbelief, our problems, our, the things that we're doing in our world. And what are we praying? Lord, get into people's lives, shake them up, Pick them up out of their situation that they're in and thrust them into a life of transformation that's transformed to desire to reach souls for Christ, whether here or around the world. Now, you can't pray that prayer unless you're a thrust out laborer. <laughs> it's just a problem. I mean, that prayer is going to resonate. Brother, sister, you've got to be praying it for you first. I'm telling you, you get on fire for God and you begin to see people get saved and you start having consistent spiritual victory in your life, you're going to get burdened. And you'll, you'll, be, you'll be praying, but we have to be willing to be thrust out first. So, the vision of your pastor here tonight. For there to be joy in Milwaukee brought by the gospel. Can it be accomplished? Well, it'd be a nice idea. Can it be accomplished? Ought it to be accomplished? Absolutely. And it's not God bringing other people in here to do it. God's called you to do it. God's called me to do it. Folks, we as American believers do need to do a little inventory. We've gotten shaken up for the last couple of years, haven't we? And that's a good thing. It's never going to be quite the same again, but I am glad because I, my ministry has been through the years when it's been pretty easy for fundamental Christians. And it's been so easy, we haven't done what we ought to do. People are shaken up right now. People are open like I've never seen them. And we as believers, you might as well, if you're counting on finances, your, your life isn't going to be the same 10 years from now. I'm sorry, I don't try to be a pessimist, but it's just the way it is. We need to get our values right, and, there, and I'm telling you, joy and peace comes to the, to the life of a believer who is 
fully on mission for Christ. And so I'd like to challenge this dear church here at this missions conference time. Are you willing to let the Spirit of God give you the heart of Jesus? If he does, you're going to be a different person. Your priorities will change. You'll deal with some things in your life. You'll begin to believe that there is a harvest and that you're supposed to be out there getting to it. And you will ask God to do whatever it takes to thrust you into the harvest and to, and to thrust others into the harvest. It will happen. God can do it for you. You say, Pastor, I've been at this too long. I don't think I can. That's just unbelief. I remember uh, some years back, I was preaching as a, really a younger preacher, and an 80-year-old man came forward, a very good man. He came forward and he said, I have not lived for God. And uh, I am going to trust the Holy Spirit to use me. I'm telling you, those final years of his life, life were powerful years. Lives affected, still today, fruit from that time. Doesn't matter how old you are. Doesn't matter how much failure you've had in the past. It's not on your, it's not on your ability, it is on God's ability. And the problem is you've been looking to yourself and it isn't you that's going to do it. It's going to be God that does it. And I appreciate a pastor with the vision that you have here. And that's the heart of the Savior. And he, God will bring you into unity with that vision if you'll let him. Let's, re let's reach Milwaukee for Christ. Let's bow for prayer. As we bow our heads here tonight... Thank God this is a giving church. Thank God for your missions-mindedness and your heart for souls. What a testimony you've had. But the Lord has, is definitely increasing your pastor's vision. And that means that what I've preached here tonight, and I had no idea what he was going to be saying when I prepared this message tonight for tonight. But I believe you're really at a very key moment here as a church. And it doesn't happen corporately, it happens individually. Are you willing to be that laborer? Are you willing to deal with self? Are you willing to deal with unbelief? Are you willing to pray whatever it takes for it to be thrust out? Are you willing to believe there is a harvest? And I'm telling you, it's a wonderful thing when you get into union with the love of Christ. When the love of Christ is your life, when you have his heartbeat, when your purpose is his purpose, life fits. And I tell you what, anxiety leaves and the joy of the Lord comes. But you'd say, Pastor Van Gelderen, God has dealt with me tonight. I definitely know that I need to get some things settled in my life. I definitely have got to, to have belief that God can do greater works, that there is a harvest. And I, my heart cry tonight is to be thrust forth and to have others thrust forth. And I need that miracle in my life. Would you pray for me tonight? With heads bowed, would you just slip your hand up if God has worked in your heart that way? That's me. God did stir me. I need to respond to him. God bless you. Many hands. Yes. I'm just going to say, Lord, help me. Folks, some of the best prayers I've ever prayed is, Lord, help me. I know what's right. I need help. And I want your will done. Now, Lord, I pray that you'll be with these that 
raise the hand. Oh, God, I just sense here that you are wanting to do another step forward. And Lord, we're all burdened about our great city. And Lord, you are far more burdened than we are. We want to enter into your burden. Now, Lord, these very familiar verses came out of your heart. You had compassion on those people. We've got to see people. They're headed to hell. This is a real battle. Our lives here on this earth are for the purpose of glorifying you. And I pray you'll give that great sense of understanding to these dear folks. And Lord, would you work mightily in their lives here tonight. And Lord, would there be a step of faith to believe that they can be used. And then whatever needs to be done so that you can transform their heart, that they would allow you to do it. So Lord, would you bless now, I pray. Why don't we stand with our heads bowed here and if we could maybe just have the piano uh, play. If God worked in your heart and you want to make this a dividing line, I'm going to ask God to put Christ's heart in my life. I just